0: Beginning in verse 1, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word found in the book of Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure that that you use, it will be used to you. Why do you seek, or why do you see, excuse me, the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Amen. Let me pray for us and ask God to teach us his word. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning for a miracle and by miracle that you would soften hardened hearts towards you, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we may see and hear things about ourselves, that we may see and hear things about the wonders of your grace to us in Christ that would cause us to change. Do that miracle for your glory, we pray. Amen. Stop judging my music and instead just ask me to play something different. Those were the words that flew out of my mouth this week. Um, As I picked up my oldest daughter, May, and I I asked for permission to talk about this, by the way, Um, as she got into the car and uh, really uh, before we got to talk about how our days were, it was just, oh, we're not listening to this again. To which I said, stop judging my music and instead just ask to play something different. I was surprised at where that came from and I As I thought about it over the week, this was kind of the the case with May this week. Very, very gentle. I'm, I'm, I'm making a point here. But, you know, apparently dad's music isn't the thing that she wants to listen to. Maybe there's a podcast playing. Not the fourth point. I wouldn't force her to listen to that at this point. But over and over, it was just... Judgments upon what was being said until finally on Friday when she got in the car, it just came out. And part of it is a little bit of a self justification. Like, I feel like I'm a pretty reasonable dad. Uh, I got a decent track record of, you know, you asked to want to listen to something. I, I, I'll go with you there. You want to listen to Taylor Swift? Well, listen to Taylor Swift. You want to listen to Christmas music? Well, listen to Christmas music. And sometimes dad needs to listen to his music, and that's that's okay. But for the most part, I feel like, you know what? I've been pretty lenient on this, pretty forgiving. Just ask. And don't offer your judgments. Because what happens when you offer judgments about dad's music, at least this dad, we turn it up. We turn it up. Well, this is exactly, in some senses, what our text is about this morning, Um, Jesus is telling his disciples, and he will be telling us this morning, stop feeding people your judgments. Stop feeding people your opinion of what is holy, of what is sacred. Stop giving people your self-righteousness and instead feed them grace. And if you don't know how to do that, ask. Just ask. And the Father who gives good gifts to his children will be happy to give you that grace. This is where Jesus leads us. So far, what Jesus calls his disciples to as it pertains to life in the kingdom, which is what the Sermon on the Mount is, it has been a tall order if we just reflect briefly on the things we've looked at. We've been been encouraged, right, to not not be anxious, to to not worry. Those are imperatives, actually. We've been told to store up treasures in heaven and not on earth. Uh, To be aware of of where our treasure is, so our heart is. And you can't serve two different things. You can't serve God and the thing that your heart holds on to or man and the thing you trust. Um, Do not do deeds for others or for yourself. We looked at this previously. Yet, Yet do them for your Father in heaven, for this audience of one. And then even before that, at the end of chapter 5, be perfect, be, be full, be content, because your Father in heaven is perfect, because your Father in heaven is content. This is not easy. However, in some ways, it would be sort of a mistake to say that this is what Jesus is calling his disciples to, if we pay attention to the context. He is, but remember, Jesus is describing kingdom life. He's describing kingdom attitudes. Kingdom virtues. In other words, he's saying, you are my people. I am your king. This is all about, this has all come about by grace. We know that now. Now here's what happens when my disciples begin to let that grace work in them. Here's what happens when you taste the goodness of this grace. When you taste the goodness of the kingdom, your life begins to change. And these attitudes, these virtues, these practices begin to become present in your life, and it changes the way that you think about God, both vertically and it changes your horizontal relationships, both your, how you think about yourself and how you think about and treat others, and nothing could, could cut at that more sharply than the way that we naturally judge others. And so this might be the hardest one of them all for some of us, myself included. The worry, anxious thing, okay. Don't judge. Let's need be, you us to be judged. I mean, okay. Don't criticize. And let's just not, let's stop short of the, the vocal part of that, right? That's, that's part of this. Let's just deal with the internal Ryan, the internal critical, critic, the internal judge of what is happening. How in the world are we to begin to think that this is something that can be produced in us? And this is where Jesus leads his disciples. Verses 1 to 12, before we get into this, regardless of how they are broken up in your Bible, are one section and they go together. And this will be important for context as we unpack this section. So what I want to do with our time is look at two things pertaining to this section. And that is, I want us to see why we should not judge So we're going to to talk about that, why we should not judge, and I want to look at why are we, or what, sorry, what are we to ask the Father for? Why we should not judge, and what are we to ask the Father for? That we may do unto others in the same way that we would have them do to us. So let's take that first one, why should we not judge? Verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. In chapter 7, Jesus is telling his disciples to stop judging that you be not judged. What is the type of judging that is in view here? And this is important. The type of judging that Jesus has in view here is the capital J judging, the judging of people's hearts, the judging of their motives, right? It is self-righteous judging, which is treating people as an us and them type of category that we create about other people. Jews did it to the Gentiles. We do it to those who are not as self, not as righteous as we are, as far as the context is concerned. So he's saying, stop judging people's hearts. A couple of places just to highlight this and throughout scripture. 1 Corinthians 4 5 it says, Therefore, do not, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. James 5, 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Again, Jesus is talking about the type of judgment that judges people's hearts, that makes decisions about where they are spiritually even. He is saying, stop giving your righteous judgments to people. Stop giving your moral criticisms to people. Stop throwing or feeding them, as it were, what you actually think is holy, what you actually think is sacred, which is nothing more than your own self-righteousness. Now, this is different than judging or making observations about a person. If you go to John chapter 7, Jesus says that we shouldn't judge by appearance, you know, there, 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 is, there are aspects of, of, of judging that we have to do. There are aspects of observations we have to do. But, but that is the kind that sort of says, look, I'm not, I'm not saying something about your soul, but I am saying something about what, what is the fruit that you are bearing. And it is actually part of God's community that is supposed to actually engage that conversation. I need somebody to say, Ryan, I'm not judging you to hell here. But here's what I see. Because what's behind that is always what? There, 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 there's a sense of like, I actually love you and care for you. And there's an assumption there, there, there in that when we think about people who would come to us and give us observations about our life, right? I have a spouse. And some would say that's her full-time job is to make observations about Ryan. And she does a great job. So, this is not what's in view. What's in view is the judgmental spirit that self-righteousness produces. And so Jesus says, don't do this. And there are three really important reasons why we shouldn't do this, why he says this, that are important for us to unlock in this section. And the first is, is that this type of judgment is God's judgment. We heard it in the other texts I read. This is is God's work. This is his job. This isn't our own. It's his business, not yours. So the judging Jesus has in view here in verse 1 presumes to know others' hearts, others' motives, others' intentions, things that what? That only God truly knows. Again, it's not wisdom. It's not discernment or making observations about what we see in someone's life that's different. The type of judgment here is, is, is the type of judging that God Uh, That is God's business and not our own. But probably more to the point: nothing is more toxic and nothing is more repelling, right, than a critical spirit, than a judgmental attitude towards someone. And Jesus is simply saying, My people will not be known by this. This is not what we feed people, our judgments, our moral convictions, and what we think is sacred. Leave that judgment to God. The second reason he says this, though, is that you will fail your own test. You will fail your own test. What do I mean by that? He says in verse 2, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You want to judge people? They're going to judge you right back. And oftentimes, oftentimes, it is not one for one. And in a worst case scenario, like, they will attack you. I started thinking about this more in terms of our culture and the way that we, uh, the aggressiveness increases as we go back and forth, back and forth. And a lot of times that's, that's due to, to really harsh and hard violence that's done unjustly. But a lot of times it, it is the pronouncement Of judgment upon people for their views, for what they think. And this is what boils in people and leads to further violence. But Jesus' point is if you want to judge other people, they're going to judge you right back. This doesn't end well. But he's reminding his followers, you do not want that same measure to judge you back. Your judgment of other people, you... Your measure, you will fail your own measurement. Paul even says this in Romans 2, verse 1 and 3. No one actually holds up to their own measure or idea of righteousness. Plainly said, do not judge because you do not want that same measure used against you. You will fail. Instead, remember your what? Remember your poverty of spirit. Remember how I said we're not leaving the Beatitudes? Remember your poverty of Spirit. Remember your lack of something. Let that guide you in this process, which leads to number three here for this first point of why we should not judge, is that you will lose your ministry. You will lose your ministry. In other words, people will not listen to you. And I would argue that this is probably what is more in view for Jesus and his teaching at this point in time. When you judge people, you lose the privilege of helping them is what he's about to tell us. In other words, Jesus is telling his disciples that if what you feed people is your own version of what is worthy or righteous, they won't eat it. They will not listen to you. Now look at verses three to five for this. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? We're familiar with this. This is about repentance. Repentance. But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Did you notice here, if we slow down for a second, if we notice here that the end game is not just self-knowledge, it's not just repentance, but it's actually being able to help your brother or sister take the so-called speck that you have pointed out, right, and to be able to remove it for them. That's the end game. And how can Jesus' followers do this, right? They're not going to be able to do it by feeding judgments to people. The way that they're going to be able to do this is by modeling and having produced in them by the Spirit a poverty of spirit, A humility that recognizes who they are because they've dealt with the plank in their own eye. A meekness, as we have said over and over. It's not just, that's how this is going to, to come about by his followers. Jesus wants his followers to stop judging others because if this is their posture or attitude, they will lose their ministry. They will lose their salt and light qualities that no longer draw people to them and thus to the message of the gospel, but ultimately repel people from them, which is, is argued in, in the entire um, culture of the Pharisees and scribes in the New Testament. And this is really the problem that he is pointing out to his disciples. If anything, he's saying, We will be very different than this group. Um, I think I'm also reminded of, uh, you know, the, the times when, when the Pharisees and the scribes, for example, said, why does Jesus sit with these people and these sinners and do these things, right? It's an us and it's a them mentality. It is uh, feeding people your judgment, even when you're not even speaking to them. And, and you know this intuitively. Do you want to be around people like that? Do you want somebody like that to come and help you? No. Judge not that you be not judged. This is sobering to me. To me. I hope it is to you. It is to me. It is. Jesus is very concerned about this in his kingdom, which is to say he's concerned about this in his church. If his kingdom is going to be attractive to others, and some people don't like that phrase, but please hear it in this context. If his kingdom is going to be attractive to others, it must come with the ethos of poverty of spirit. Or else people will not listen. People will not be drawn in. You will not be able to help people. They will not listen to you. What creates that poverty of spirit, that ethos, right? We are people who what know about and work on right we don't hide it we work on it in respective places in specific communities of people our own sin right we remember that the church is a hospital it's a place for the sick it's not the place for the people who've gotten themselves better and so there's an us them it is a hospital, right? This is what creates that ethos. And we can have all of the best intentions, right? We can want to help people, yet even still be bringing our judgments. And I'm not talking, I'm not talking about perception necessarily. That is certainly out of your control, although it does need to be cared for. I'm just talking about judgments that come about because you have forgotten your poverty of spirit, God's people have not done the, ongo- the ongoing business of knowing themselves first and of examining the beam in their own eyes, as it were. The church is great at saying, you know, I'm here, to, I'm here to help you. But boy, these people never learn. You're throwing judgment. Even if you're thinking it. I'm here to help. How could you have been so foolish? You are literally throwing your judgments to people here. You are casting not pearls of grace, but your own pearls of self-righteousness, and you are creating the us-them world, the pigs and the dogs, as it were, that is not Jesus's kingdom. And friends, people will not have it. And you know this personally. They will not want your help. And you say, well, Ryan... Sometimes people need to hear hard things. And I would say you're absolutely right, but that is not what this passage is about. Speak the truth in love the scriptures say by all means, but this passage is about judging people's hearts and how the words of our mouth and the actions that flow out of those judgments towards one another creates an us and them. And Jesus is saying no more. Well, you might be thinking, what what should we say to them then? What should we feed them? What should we give them? And that's a great question. And I would simply say the very thing that you've been fed. The very thing that you want others to feed you. See where Jesus is going with this. Verse 12, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. And what's that? It could be a host of things, but sticking with the context Let's stick with grace. So it was a good starting point. What should we feed them? We should feed them grace. And grace, friends, is love and limits. And so maybe we need to do some work to go back to understanding what that is. Grace is not a free pass. It is love and it is limits. But how that is communicated, how that is communicated is what's in view here. The way that those who are poor in spirit, the way that those who are truly meek, who hunger and thirst for a righteousness that is not their own, the way that they offer love and limits is completely different than those who only judge and see the world as an us and a them, like the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus is simply saying, that is not life in my kingdom. So this is the first point. Why should we not judge? Judging is jobs, God. <laughs> Judging is God's job. You will fail your own test and you will lose your ministry. People will not listen to you. And that's really the main point. Well, what do we do here? Right. What, what, if, what if I can't do that? And I want to be serious here. I want to give two examples. Um, I can hear many thinking, you know what, Ryan, I hear you. I, I see the text. You just don't know what it's like to live with this person. I hear that. There's another side of, in this room that says, you know, all too well, I know this, I know this, and I don't need you to point this out about me. It's the thing that brings me the most shame and guilt. I know that. I hear you. So what do we do? And I think we have to come to that point, both where we we recognize the circumstances of our situation, right, the the impossibleness of of the people we live with or work with or whatever it is, that seem to prohibit us from doing anything but giving them grace. And we also have to care about and understand that there are Christians who are aware of this problem in them. Because when we get there, I think verse seven opens up to us. What do we do? We have to ask. Don't just give your judgments. Don't just hate on my radio. Ask for something different, and that's what we ask the Father for—grace. Not limiting to that, I'm just simply allowing the context to direct us, that we may be changed to go deal with and love on hard people, in order for our hearts to change. Grace specifically grace, right? The ability to not feed people our judgments is what we're asking the Lord to do for us. Listen to this text. Ask then and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For every, everyone who asks receives, all right? Everyone who asks receives, all right? Again, not limiting it to grace, but let's stay within the context here of what we're talking about. We're talking about judgments. We're talking about hearts who have a hard time not judging, And Jesus says, ask for everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. And then he doubles down on it. Which one of you, if his son or daughter asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or which one of you, whose son or daughter asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, and that's a sermon for another day, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, and this is the the point, will your Father who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him. Therefore, so after everything that's been said from verse one, chapter seven, therefore, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus does, doesn't get, just give his people, hear this, he doesn't just give his people hard things to do. He gives them the way his people will be able to go about doing them. He gives them the grace to do it. You need grace? Ask for it. Ask for it. And this this works out as sort of application for us for the rest of our time. Ask for it. When is the last time you stopped? And and, and this is a little bit of like beam examination, right? But acknowledge, I need God's grace in the midst of the situation towards another. I don't don't know that I do that as much as I want to, right? When have you? When's the last time you stopped and you asked for grace concerning your heart attitudes towards another person? Because the reality is, is it's so much easier to be critical. It is so much easier to throw our judgment, judgments around. I don't. I don't think I want my heart softened right now towards people. Is what I often hear myself thinking. But Jesus is saying, ask. All right. He doesn't leave it at that. There's actually more to it seek. Seek after it, which actually implies further investigation or actually work on your part to seek the Lord in the way that you are treating others. Seeking others, or seeking also implies a type of earnest wanting, right? An earnestness in wanting to love people as God calls us. You want to find a solution. That ends with you doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. You want, to, you want to find the solution so bad, you will actually seek after it. That's life in the kingdom. Lastly, knock, right? This refers to situations that do not even seem to have a clear solution, or an avenue to the situation, right? It is the situation that seem impossible, and you need God to actually show, and not just show you a way, but to actually create one that doesn't exist. To open something that was closed, and and there wasn't really a possibility. Because after all, that's what he's in the business of doing, creating possibilities opening doors that are closed, creating ways for salvation to happen. But what all three of these imperatives have in common, right, is that what? Don't get get locked in on just the ask, uh, seek, and knock verse that we love to pull out of context. All three of those imperatives have in common, what? That the Father is willing to give grace for the situation. It's about what He's willing to give. Would you ask, even you, and you know this, who is evil, do not give stones or serpents to your children when you ask them. How, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So what are we to ask the Father for? Again, many things before the context and the view here. Let's focus on our attitudes towards others which implies grace. The purpose of asking, of seeking and knocking, is that you might receive grace for your own heart attitudes towards others. Grace to not feed others our judgments or who we deem worthy of sacred things. Grace to see the very beam in our own eye, not just the speck in your brother's eye. Grace that leads to poverty of spirit that we might be of help to one another in this kingdom. Would we ask the Father for these things? So that, verse 12, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. And this is really another way to ask that question, and this is good application as well, is how do you, not that question, but that statement, we put it in a question, how do you want to be measured? That's what that statement's asking. How do you want to be measured? And that might be a good takeaway from this whole sermon this morning. How do you want others to judge you? How do you want to be measured? Jesus says, go and do likewise. But there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's an important assumption in this text so far about how Christians do that, that we have to catch before we leave. And that is to answer another question. How have you been measured? Right, that, that's the kernel in that verse 12, <laughs> right? It's a wonderful statement to say to go, go do to others as you would have them do to you, right? How do you want to be measured? How have you been measured is the question for the Christian, and not by others, uh, but as we know, as by the one who sees hearts, by the one who actually sees your motives, by the one who actually sees intent, not by others at this point, How have you been measured by the one who truly has the right to judge? And see, until Christians go and do business with this over and over and over and over again, verse 12 is just something you put on a put on a two by four and put it on your wall. It sounds great. You have got to come back to the reality of how you have been measured and how have you been measured graciously. Not as you should. But graciously, you've been measured by a God who didn't throw you his judgments that you deserved. You've been measured by a God who threw you his pearls, his grace. Instead, you've been measured by a God who did not just send criticism. right? And maybe that's what you hear all the time. right? God just calling down criticism for you. He didn't send that to you. What does the gospel say? He sent his beloved. He sent his son. The only one who took your judgments, who could take your judgments, and only one who could take your criticisms towards others, but also the judgment of God as well that you deserved so that you could have the kingdom. Friends, that is how you have been judged and when you know that, right, when that gospel message it sinks in, when you taste it, and when, when, when you taste it over and over and over again, as we, we, we aim to do <laughs> as God's people on Sunday, right, you didn't have power. You have power to do unto others as your Father in heaven has done to you. Power to measure others the way that you have been measured. Sinclair Ferguson writes it this way, The heart that has tasted the Lord's grace and forgiveness will always be restrained in its judgments towards others. Only the person who sees that he is a beggar before the Lord and has nothing to offer, but has discovered that they are an heir of the grace of God will be sufficiently set free from self-centeredness of character to put others first and to do them what, we, what he or they would appreciate receiving from them. How do you want to be measured? Let us drink deep from the cup that reminds us of how we have truly been measured. God did not throw you his judgments, friends. Instead, he threw you his love. He threw you his grace. He threw you, in so many words, his son, that we might be redeemed and restored. And Christmas is that part of the story where we are reminded of this in such a very specific way. And I'll leave it here. Christmas is not just all about joy. It is a sobering season. It is a mysterious season. Because as much as I want to say to you, as believers, and it's true that God has not thrown you his judgments, he has thrown you his son, it doesn't mean that that, that judgment is over. Right? Redemption always comes before judgment. Go to Noah. We will, he, will, he will give grace to Noah and his family before the flood. Right? Go to Israel out of Egypt. He will, he will take his people out of Egypt. He will redeem them before the judgment of the waters of the Red Sea. He has given you Jesus, his son, all you need for redemption, but not before the final or yes, before the final judgment, not without that judgment, which means that Christians throughout this time of year have gathered, not just to rejoice in their salvation, but to remember and be sober minded of the reality that because this is true, this is also true too. And so wherever that sits with you this morning, whether you're a believer or not, Yes, look at what Jesus has given you. Look what God has given you in his son. But understand, too, that that does not mean that there's not a coming judgment. And Christians right, are people that look at the gospel and say, look, I want to be measured by what? I want to be measured by Christ and his righteousness. The only way that you and I escape that judgment. That is what's happening as we celebrate Christmas. Right? As, as, as God sends his son, sends us redemption before that final judgment, do you want that? Because here's the blessing for those who do, for those who ask, for those who seek and knock. It is yours. That grace is yours. The, the measure of the kingdom, which is grace, is yours. What a wonderful Christmas that would be for us to ask for that and for us to, to sink in and know and to Um, taste afresh the grace of the gospel of what God has done, not given us our just desserts, as it were, but instead fed us something different, fed us grace in his son, Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text, and we pray, Lord, that you would use it to shed light on our own hearts, our attitudes towards others, that we would in turn run to your cross, to your grace for us, both to account for the ways that we fall short of this, but to also be enamored with your movement towards us. The one who has the right to judge did not judge, but yet, gave what was most personal to him, his own son, that the judgers might be found just. That's the gospel. That's what we cling to. It's what our hope is in. We give you thanks for that. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.